So this morning we're going to continue our study uh, in our values. We're looking at uh, the biblical values that we at Bridges believe are crucial. Values, I mean, we value lots of other things. These are the seven core values that we've established as a church. This is what we make our decisions based on these values, the actions we take based on these values. And we've covered the first four already. Uh, They're posted up here, so walk through them with me. Bringing glory to God, reliance on the Word of God, and just a mention of that one. All of our values really flow out of this value. Uh, Our values come out of the Word of God. We didn't make them up uh, in our own little heads, including members in ministry. And last week, we looked at dependence on prayer. This week, we'll look at our fifth value. We value genuine relationships. But before we get to this value, I need to preface it with something I've been thinking about. This past week, while I was listening to music in my... I don't often listen to music. I'm more of a talk. Listen to sermons or sports talk radio or something. Uh, But I was listening to music, and I heard the 1964 song uh, titled Last Kiss by the Cavaliers. Who's familiar with that song? You will be in a moment. Uh, Anyone from, nobody, nobody, okay. Oh, Dan, he knows. You know, all the best music was made in the 60s and 70s. That's my belief anyway. But anyway, that's because I'm an old guy. The, the song is re- very cheery. It's about a couple who are in a car accident in which the girl dies. And the chorus sung by the boy, the boyfriend, goes like this. And I will say it, read it, not sing it. He says... Oh, where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. She's gone to heaven, so I've got to be good, so I can see my baby when I leave this world. Now, you recognize the song now, right? Oh, where, oh, where can my baby be? Okay, sorry. Uh, So as I was listening to those words, uh, I was struck by the fact that they really summarized the theology of this world. They express the deeply held belief of most people, regardless of their religion, that in order to go to heaven, or whatever you call it, paradise, nirvana, they've got to be good. They've got to obey the rules as laid down in their particular religion. They've got to keep the commandments. Their good deeds have to outweigh their bad deeds. This idea of being good or being good enough to go to heaven is in one form or another what all man-made religions are based on. That's what they teach. And that's one of the many reasons why I believe that biblical Christianity, I say biblical because there are brands of Christianity that teach that very worldly theology, but biblical Christianity is not man-made, but God-made, because it teaches the exact opposite. It teaches that in ourselves, we can never be good enough to go to heaven. And so God, in His grace and His mercy, His love, He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross as a sacrificial atonement for our sins. He did this so that all who put their faith in Christ can have, will have, their sins forgiven and be declared righteous be declared good enough. God will make them 
good enough to go to heaven. They'll be saved from their sin, saved from eternal damnation, and saved to heaven, saved into relationship with God for all eternity. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Not your own doing. It's a ba- this is a battle. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. This is the gospel of grace. And it's the opposite of the world's, uh, what we could call, work-based theology. The theology that we must, in ourselves, be good enough, do enough good to earn heaven. This theology of works is, I believe, the default belief system of humanity. It seems like we're born with it. It was, it was, it was the thing that every one of us once believed, probably. And so we need to battle against it. I think Jesus knew that we would struggle with this works theology, so he gave us a gift of communion, which we'll celebrate today, to remind us regularly of the truth of his sacrificial death for our sins. So that's what I wanted to share with you. And you might be thinking, that's what I've been thinking about as I heard that song and, and other things, they just continue to, to point out, this is what the world believes. This is this worldly works-based theology about g- gaining heaven somehow by what you do. But you might be thinking, Pastor, why are you sharing this with us at, at the beginning of a message on uh, genuine relationships? Well, because as I thought about that song and the theology it states, I realized that we, even us Christians, have to battle because we can fall back into living in that works-based theology of believing we need to do enough good, to be good enough to go to heaven. And, and sometimes sermons, like the one I'm about to preach, uh, uh, that are filled with commands telling us what to do. In fact, if you have notes, if you have the notes, if you don't, you should probably get them because there's going to be a lot of stuff today. Uh, we got 20 of them here. There are 20, there's really 19. One of them is, in, is more of a statement, but 19 commands. And as we look at that stuff, we need to uh, not fall back into this works-based theology. If we misunderstand the point, we need to understand from the beginning that we're saved by grace as a gift of God. It's a gift. It can't be earned But along with, and this is uh, just as crucial, sometimes uh, we err on the one side of the works, and then sometimes we err by ignoring what I'm about to say. Along with the gift of salvation, God also gives us the gift of a new life. A new way of living. And the Bible is filled with good commands, commands telling us how to live a good life before God. But these commands are not for the purpose of earning our salvation. They're for the purpose of living the abundant, the best life that we can live. They're not the commands of an employer or a slave master who will fire us or punish us if we don't obey. They're the commands of a loving Heavenly Father 
who wants what's best for us and gives us these commands for our good and for His glory. As Paul will go on to say in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, after telling us we're saved by grace through faith, he adds, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, we're to be good. We're to do good. Yes, we're to obey God's commands. Not to earn salvation, that is by grace through faith, but because we are God's workmanship. He's doing a, a loving work in our lives. These good works are the outcome of a life that's been saved by grace through faith. And now that we are in Jesus Christ, we can accomplish the good things that God has prepared for us. Good things for ourselves and good things for those in our world. And that brings us to our sermon for today. Today we're going to talk about 19, 20 good things that God has prepared for us. For those who are saved by grace. To do in relationship with one another. Not to earn salvation, but because we've been saved and we value the commands of our Savior. And as we'll see, uh, that means that we value genuine relationships. Now we understand that our most important relationship is our relationship with God. Christ died that we might be reconciled, re-enter, uh, come into relationship with God. This is foundational to all our other relationships. And in several weeks, we'll focus specifically on that relationship when we look at our final value of seeking our joy in the Lord. But today, we're focusing on human relationships. Our lives are full of relationships, right? All kinds of relationships with all kinds of people. Relationships can be good or bad. They can be deep or shallow. They can be easy. They can be difficult. Long-term relationships, short-term relationships, casual relationships, serious relationships. We have relationships with family, friends, neighbors, co-workers. We can and should have relationships with non-believers, seeking to share the love of Christ with them. We'll talk about that next week. We value engagement in the Great Commission. But today, we're going to focus on one specific kind of human relationship. When we say we value genuine relationships, we're speaking of relationships between believers, between those who are in Christ, between uh, those who are part of the body of Christ. We have all, all kinds of ways of putting that. Specifically, I want us to reflect on our relationships with, with us, uh, people who call bridges their church. We value genuine relationships in this body of believers. So with that said, let me ask, uh, what is a genuine relationship? What does it look like? One of the things that the New Testament makes clear is that God values our relationships over and over again. He speaks of it. The New Testament has much to say about what our relationships with one another are to look like. In fact we find a number of passages that we even call the one another passages. These are the verses in the New Testament that specifically tell us, command us, how we're to relate to one another in the body of Christ. 
So I, what I want to do this morning is to overwhelm you a bit, uh, to, to take it up all the way, to, to see just how much God emphasizes this, how much God works, speaks to our relationships with one another. And so I want to just allow God's Word to speak to our hearts. I just want to read through some of those one another passages. I'll give some explanation, some comments, but for the most part, I want the overwhelming power of God's Word to speak to us. And as we read these passages, which demonstrate, I think overwhelmingly, that God knows what is best for us and it is to be in genuine relationships with other believers. And as we do that, I want, I want these two questions to be like uh, ruminating in your mind. These two things I want you to think about. First, as we read through these passages, as we talk about them, do these passages which describe what relationships in the body of Christ are to look like, what genuine relationships are, are to look like, do they describe my relationships with other members of the body of Christ? Do I have this? Is this part of my life? And second, if not, what can I do to develop these kind of genuine relationships? Because these are commands. This isn't an optional thing. This isn't a side value. You might think, okay, bringing glory to God, of course. Reliance on His Word, prayer, of course. But, you know, that relational thing, I do okay on my own. That's why I want to give you just tons of commands from God to show you He did not design you to do this on your own. Okay? You ready? Let's begin with the most important or foundational. I think uh, the rest of the, these commands, these descriptions of genuine relationships flows from the first, and that is we love one another. John 13, 34, 35. Jesus said to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Let me print, because that's what's best for you, just to remind us. Just as I have loved you, which was really good for us, right? That Jesus loved us. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So are we to love one another? Pretty clear. Jesus calls us to have love for one another, a love that is modeled after His love for us, a giving love, a sacrificial love, a heartfelt, genuine, emotional love. It's deep, and this is the glue that holds our relationships together. This is the foundational piece that allows us to have genuine relationships, and this love only comes to those who have who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. I mean, there's love in the world, right? There's all kinds of love, but there's a deep love that's given to those in the body of Christ. This love is reserved for members of His body. This love is given by God. Peter understood the depth of this love. We talked about this recently as we looked at 1 Peter. He writes in chapter 1, verse 22, "...having purified your souls..." By your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We must have a brotherly, uh, this is a family type love for one another. And it must be an earnest, genuine love, not a hypocritical, fake kind of love. And it comes from a pure heart. 
A heart that's been transformed by Jesus Christ. So first, God's Word teaches that genuine relationships in His body are based on love for one another. And this love only comes from God. He loved us first that we might love. And along with or as part of loving one another is what follows. And the first thing that follows is we honor one another. That's the second Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo. It's a competition. Outdo one another in showing honor. Again, we love one another, but we also honor one another. That word honor means to value, uh, to respect one another. For a relationship to be successful, it's important that each person feels valued and respected. We need to look for ways to honor one another. To let people know you value who they are, you value what they do. So honor one another. I wanted to just take a minute and honor some people here, but then I thought, hmm, that's probably not good because I'll forget people that need to be honored. So I honor all of you. You are all honorable people. Now the next point is not a command. I believe it's the only one that's not. It's a statement of fact. But this statement of fact should... uh, impact how we live, how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. We belong to one another. I hope you're getting the radicalness of this. Love and honor and now belonging, this is serious. Just as each of us, Romans 12, 4 and 5, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, whole thing we could talk about there. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to one another. We're part of the same body. Christ is our head. We are the body. We share His purpose. We share His mission. This means that unity uh, must be sought in all our relationships. That doesn't mean we'll always have unity. In our men's uh, breakfast, we, we discovered that even Paul and Barnabas had their disagreements, right? And Chuck stabbed him with, with a sword. No, sorry, you had to be there. We had little sword fights, and they were plastic. It's okay. Uh, so there can be disagreements and conflict, obviously, we're people, but we have to seek unity because we belong to one another. We are, we are united in the mission of Christ, and to do what we must uh, do, to do that, to ha- be united, we must have genuine relationships with one another. We're not going to be able to work out conflicts if we have no relationships. If we're not in a relationship, the, then the body cannot function as it was designed. And this can be a difficult sometimes, right? Because of wrongs and hurts that take place in the church. People say something, they, don't, they mean it, they don't mean it. It's interpreted wrong or right. But if we truly belong to one another, then we'll work through those wrongs and hurts. We'll not give up on our relationships, but we'll fight to keep the body together because we belong to one another. And therefore... Fourth, we welcome one another. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That word welcome carries this idea of acceptance. Allowing entrance into one's life. We're not all the same. 
We come from different walks of life, but God is not into uh, little cliques. In the body of Christ, we don't only associate with people who are just like us. Our relationships are not based on those externals. They're not based on whether we, we are the same race or the same socioeconomic class. They're not based on whether we look or dress the same way. They're not based on our education level. Our relationships are based, according to Paul here, on the mercy of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We are none of us on the level of Christ. None of us compare with Christ. He is in a class by himself, but he welcomes us. God in his love and mercy welcomed those who could never match up to his holy standards. Therefore, we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us with grace and mercy and understanding and love. And as part of welcoming one another, fifth, we show hospitality to one another. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's helpful. Don't complain about it. Just do it. Hospitality refers to inviting people in, making people feel welcome. We need to do that as visitors come to the church. We need to do that with one another. We need to become part of one another's lives on Sundays, of course, but also outside the church. Inviting fellow believers into our homes, sharing what we have with them, becoming friends. We need to do this more often. It, it seems to be rare, more rare than I would like. It needs to become commonplace that we invite one another into our lives, showing hospitality to one another. And when we belong to one another and love and honor, and welcome, and show hospitality to one another, we're beginning to have that genuine relationship. And then, number six, we instruct one another. Romans 15, 4, 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You might think that uh, the instruction or teaching should only come from the pastor or some other highly educated, qualified individual. And pastors and elders and leaders have a place. But we also are to instruct and teach and admonish one another. We're to be involved in one another's lives to such an extent that we can do this. Admonishing refers to correcting one another. This doesn't mean that we go around, I'm the designated admonisher, and I'm looking for somebody to correct. Not what it means. This means that as the Word of Christ dwells in us, as we're filled with the knowledge of God, then we can instruct, we can teach, we can admonish those with whom we are in relationship with. We can encourage... Oh, I don't want to get ahead. That's one of them too. Encourage one another. Those that we love and honor, those we belong to, those who belong to us, then we can benefit one another. We can share the things that we've learned from God with one another. J.I. Packer says, The fellowship of sharing with one another what we have received from the Lord is a spiritual necessity. For God has not made us self-sufficient, 
so often we think we are. We are not made so we can uh, keep going on our own, he says. Therefore, instruct one another. And we confess to one another. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Genuine relationships need to be open and honest relationships. We must be willing to confess our sins even to one another. We can't continue to put on a false front. Oh, yes, I am the, the perfect Christian. Of course, you have to be careful. You have to use wisdom with regards to who, what time, the timing and the person who's best to confess to. But you must have, you need to be open and honest with other members of the body of Christ. You must allow those who love you to bear your burdens. And James goes on to say that along with the confession comes prayer. We pray for one another. Again, James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We spoke of our dependence on prayer last week. Our dependence on God is expressed through prayer. And our dependence on one another is expressed by praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens. Each of us has burdens to carry, but God's Word tells us we must not carry these burdens alone. We must open up, be open to one another, and allow the body of Christ to help us carry our burdens, to pray for us, to counsel us, to be involved in our lives. We pray for one another, and we encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. So this encouraging, I don't have a number, we could have added building one another up. I'll include it here. Encouragement builds, builds, builds us up just as you are doing. This word encourage, is, it's an interesting word. It's the Greek word parakleo. You might recognize it. It's related to the Greek word paraklete. This is the word Jesus used to refer to the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter. We're to encourage, we're to help one another, we're to comfort one another, to build one another up. This is so important in the body of Christ. Hebrews 3.13, the same word is translated exhort, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is so crucial, I think. We must exhort one another when? How, how often? What does that say? What does it say? Every day. That means uh, you have to be in relationship with people. Right? Can you see how the author of Hebrews relates encouragement, exhortation to overcoming sin? If we're not encouraged daily, we will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But if we are encouraged helped, built up, then we can overcome sin. We must have encouragers in our life. We must be encouragers to one another, exhorting one another. I mean, if you're struggling with this, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but I, I have a suspicion it is. If you're struggling a continual sin in your life, you probably don't have uh, a genuine relationship with another in the body of Christ. You don't have someone that's encouraging you daily. You don't have someone that's calling you up and saying, how's it going? You don't have someone that you've 
uh, confessed your sin to. You don't have someone that's praying for you, that's bearing your burdens. God has given us one another that we might grow together, that we might overcome sin together. And this is, this is how he's laid it out for us. And, continuing on, halfway there, some of these are going to go a little faster in a minute, but not this one. Uh, we serve one another. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The Apostle Paul states that we are free. In Christ we have freedom. We're no longer under the law that prescribes so much of our lives. What he means by that is we now have choices to make. We now can decide what, we, what are we going to do with our time? What are we going to do with our resources, our talents, our treasures? He warns us not to use our freedom to choose to indulge in our sinful nature. But instead, he says, uh, serve one another. Literally, he, he says, become slaves to one another in love. Serving not out of a sense of duty or obligation, not to earn merit from God or man, but because of love. Freely giving of your time, your talents, your treasures. Being there for one another. Willing to meet the physical, the emotional, especially the spiritual needs of one another. Serving one another and... 11, we submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does it mean to submit to one another? It means to lay down our rights, to take a, set aside our pride. It means not demanding your own way in a relationship, but considering others better than yourself. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from rivalry or, con rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's a, a tall order. But that's what it means to humbly submit to one another. And you might think that, that, that could cause problems. People could really take advantage of you, right? That's certainly true. And when it happens... Then you're called to forgive one another. That's number 12. We forgive one another. Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another. And if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you, mu you also must forgive. How many times did Jesus say? A lot, right? Do the math. Because we've been forgiven by God, we must forgive one another. C.S. Lewis said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. What does the need for forgiving one another imply? Well, it implies that we will offend one another. We'll make mistakes. We'll say the wrong thing. We'll do the wrong thing. But in the body of Christ, forgiveness is the norm. So forgive one another. And 13, we stir up one another. Hebrews 10.24 Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. What does it mean to stir up one another? Uh, uh, the NIV translated to spur on. The King James to provoke. The NASB to stimulate. 
in the Greek, it's, 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 a, it's a medical word used to describe uh, often a fever or an attack uh, of an illness. In other words, it's like a fever, not necessarily pleasant, but it serves a purpose, right? If you don't know, a fever is, is like good for your body. It's supposed to help kill the, the bad stuff. We're commanded to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Maybe a contemporary translation might be uh, to kick one another in the seat of the pants. You know, every week I try to give a little kick uh, to stir us up for love and good deeds. And, and that's very important and needed, but it's not enough. The command is that we stir one another up. We need people who can and will speak into our lives. People to admonish us, instruct us. We need people who are willing to ask hard questions of us and not give up when they don't receive an answer. We need genuine relationships in order to stir up one another to love and good deeds. So, that's number 13. Number 14 through 19, we're going to do really quick. And then 20 will slow down a little bit. So, so just jot these down. Uh, basically just going to read the verses. Number 14, we are kind to one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. We demonstrate our love to one another with acts of kindness. 15, we bear with one another. We already saw this once, once uh, we were talking about forgiving. We bear with and forgive one another. In Ephesians 4.2, we see it again. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Because of love, we put up with one another. Even when someone's having a bad day, you put up with them. And we live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Again, seek unity with one another. Don't allow your pride to, to think you're better. And your opinion matters more than others. Live in harmony with fellow believers. Now the next three of the five short ones here uh, are do nots. Number 17, we do not judge one another. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide neither to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. This is in the context, if you remember back to Romans 14, of the weak and the stronger brothers. We're not to judge one another, condemn or, uh, or you know, focus in on uh, one another in matters of food and drink, the, the trivial matters of faith. And 18, we are not to slander one another. James says, do not speak evil against one another. We need to watch our tongues, especially when speaking of a fellow believer. And number 19, we do not lie to one another. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You used to lie to one another. Now, stop that. Genuine relationships are characterized by honesty, not deception. Okay, now slow down for the last, the final one another. I saved it for last because I think it brings it all together. We fellowship with one another. This is sort of the word that we associate with one another in the church. First John 1 John 1.7, but if, if we walk in the light... As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
Fellowship is from the Greek word koinonia. It includes the idea of participation, a partnership, a communion, communing together. It refers to a close association involving mutual interests and sharing something in common. And John makes it clear that we can only have fellowship with each other when we are walking in the light together. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.14 puts it this way, What fellowship has light with darkness? And the rhetorical answer is none. No fellowship, light and darkness, do not belong together. They can't fellowship. They can't commune. They can't partner Fellowship, as described by the Word of God, is for those who are following Christ together. Those who've given their lives to Him. Those who've been cleansed of their sins. Really, we have fellowship with one another when we are fellowshipping with the Lord. As we fellowship with the Lord, as individuals, we're also fellowshipping with the Lord together and with one another. Fellowship means uh, genuine relationships of love and care with other members of the body. Being united, sharing interests, goals, and purposes. All the things that we've talked about. All the things that characterize the genuine relationships that we hopefully value. J.I. Packer says again, As we value the health of our own souls and of the Christian church, then we must learn to prize fellowship. Fellowship was one of the main priorities of the early church. Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, which we'll do shortly, and the prayers. Last week we talked about our need to be devoted to prayer. Remember the Greek word for devoted that I had difficulty pronouncing, so I won't even bother? It contains the ideas of earnestness, of perseverance, of diligence, of continuing in. I said this means we must pray often and regularly. And the same thing is true for fellowship. We must fellowship often and regularly. Being devoted to fellowship means you must take steps to see that it's part of your regular life. So how do we do that? We say we value genuine relationships. Well, that means we must take steps to be involved in genuine relationships. We must take steps to fellowship with one another. And that certainly involves coming to church on a weekly basis. Uh, Sorry, online is not good enough. Joining in with other members of the body to worship and hear God's Word. So you might be able to do that, but you're not going to be able to participate in fellowshipping with one another. The author, of Hebrews 10, uh, the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 25, warns that we are not neglecting, warns us not to neglect meet, meeting together as, the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're to meet together. We're to be devoted to fellowship, but a devotion isn't a once a isn't a once a week thing. Small groups are not only uh, are not the only place we can experience genuine relationships in the body of Christ, but they're certainly a great place to begin. I'd encourage each and every person here to devote themselves to finding a place, a group of believers where they can experience the kind of genuine relationships that the New Testament describes. These uh, 
19 things are all part of what it means to have fellowship, to be in genuine relationships. Relationships of love and honor, belonging, acceptance, encouragement, forgiveness, and the list goes on. Relationships with one another that help us grow in our relationship with God. I know we've covered a lot today, and it could seem overwhelming, so I'd encourage you to go back over your notes. If you took notes, if you didn't take the notes, you get, get the notes, and the verses are there. Even if you don't have the blanks filled in, the verses are there, and use those verses to go through just the one and other passages in the New Testament, and, and, and remember the two questions that I asked you to think about. First, do these one another passages that we've looked at describe your relationship with other members of the body of Christ? If so, if you have those kind of relationships, great. Continue to develop the relationships you have and look for God to point you to others that you can, can, that you can develop relationships with. And second, if not, if you don't really have these kind of genuine relationships, if you don't have people in your life, ask God to help you. I mean, these are, again, these are commands. This isn't an option to consider. These are commands to obey. Ask Him to help you discover people in His body that you can enter into genuine relationship with. People who you can love and honor and accept and encourage, and you can be loved and encouraged and honored and respected by. And don't forget these relationships and these one another commands that are associated with them are meant for your good. I'm not giving you a checklist. I'm giving you, this is, you want the abundant life, you want the new life in Christ Jesus. This is part of it. This is a crucial part that you enter into relationship with one another within the body of Christ. These commands are given to you by a loving Heavenly Father, not to earn His favor, but they're given so that through relationships in the body of Christ, you might become more like Christ. They're given for your good and for God's glory. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the body of Christ. Lord, I... I guess you could have done it another way where we come to know you and then it's just me and Jesus alone. But that's not what you chose. You chose to have a body. You chose to, to form a church, to form churches with people. You've chosen to, to call us to love and honor and respect, to care for one another, to encourage one another, to so much more, Father. You've caused us to live together in the body of Christ. And I pray that we would do that. Lord, give us, each of us, genuine relationships with one another. Or that you might use us in one another's lives to speak into our lives, to care for one another, to, to, to hold one another up, that we might together follow hard after you, bring honor and glorify, glory to your name. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Brian's going to come and lead us in communion.